0: Welcome to the Ocean Cruises Podcast, hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Chris from the YouTube sailing channel, Sailing Britaly. Chris from the UK, along with his Italian wife, Rosella and their daughter, Emma, enjoy cruising around the waters of Italy and the UK. Chris spent time in the RAF when he was younger as a technician before he met his wife and then moved into the oil and gas industry to work offshore. They set up Italy's first McGregor boat dealership before they decided to buy a boat for themselves and cruise the waters of Italy. Chris produces videos to help sailors with DIY projects and refits, as well as some great boat life hacks and how to save money cruising. We talk about how Chris set up a boat dealership in Italy, his refit work and also his new business which is providing advice and courses to people searching and purchasing boats. You can learn about Chris and his family on their YouTube channel Sailing Britaly. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to purchase Chris's boat buying guide, click on the link in the description.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially if you're actually if you if you're doing the canals through France, like the last thing you want to do is because it takes a long time to go through them. The last thing you want to do is start out in the north, get halfway down, and then they're like, okay, lockdown now. And it's like well, where am I gonna leave my where am I gonna yeah. leave my boat in France for <laughs> like six months or however long it is.
2: Exactly, it's not like the sea where, you know, they can close borders down. Of course, but the sea is more open, less less yeah, subject you can to control. Leave if you, want. you can you can you can travel around on the sea. Yeah. Um. You know, un, unhindered, whereas canals are very much
1: restricted. Yeah, yeah, you're like completely locked. And it's not the cheapest country in Europe, is it, to <laughs> so yeah. have your boat stuck if it's if it's going to get stuck there?
2: Yeah, it's just a case of you know you literally could be stuck, in the middle of some fields. You know, if they if they yeah. shut down the locks at any given moment in time, you'll just be stuck wherever you are and you can't get them to open the locks again. You know, you're Mm. just, you're then completely passive. Um, So yeah, it's, we'd we'd rather wait until things are a little bit more uh, predictable before we make any moves.
1: Yeah, I think that's safe. I mean, we're we're not planning any big trips this year. Like we're just basically going to stay within Spain. We'll go over to Morocco and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, no, not like we definitely wouldn't enter the territory of like any other country's waters. Just in case they say, okay, can't go anywhere now. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> what do we do? Can't, can't leave the boat in Italy or something. Um, so did you want to do that canal system? Because that's something you wanted to experience? Or was it logistics? Like it's just better to do that than go all the way around to get into the med?
2: Yeah. Um, well, it was really just something that, that appealed to us, you know, especially with Emma being... She well she would have been um, you know two and a half at the time, mm. so you know going through the canals, poodling through there would have been a little bit less stressful than than going around across the Bay of Biscay and everything. Oh yeah. Um, so that was that was really the reason behind it, and also you know it's a beautiful thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and also it wouldn't just been France, but it would have been Belgium and then down potentially into Holland a bit, and then down through France. So we would have we would have done a really nice, long scenic, trip. Um, yeah. But yeah, who knows? We may get to do it one day.
1: Is, it, is that a still a plan? So when, when you are able to get back to the boat in Belgium, you would still like to take it through the canals?
2: Uh, possibly, possibly, but we we don't plan anymore.
1: It's um. <laughs> <laughs> the safest thing to do now. I'm an adult, yeah. I'm mature, I'm not making plans, it's pointless.
2: <laughs> yeah, we just, I mean, you know, we're just remaining flexible um, and we'll just see how, see what appears to be on the horizon before we make any decisions about what we're doing and you know something that may have may have appealed to us before may appeal to us less now because for example going around the outside yes it offers it, it creates more challenges but um mm. you're less likely to be restricted in your movement so that may then that's become true. more appealing so we'll see
1: yeah that's true and it's not like you didn't take it too far out of that general direction as well because like you went over to Belgium it's not like you went as you know you went further up north or whatever so you can yeah. you won't be diverting too much so like given your daughter's age and obviously your wife jumping on board as well, would they be okay with the concept of like, you know, sailing round France, Spain, Portugal, Spain again, back into the Med, up to Italy. Would they be okay with that?
2: Yeah. These, this is all part of the, the kind of decision-making mm. equation, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, we, we've toyed with all kinds of different ideas. I've even thought about going on the boat and soloing, soloing the boat around, you know, yeah. into the Med, and then having the, having the family come on board after that. Um, but again, you know you can set out to do that, and then if the situation changes when you're at sea, you may then end up stuck. I know somebody got stuck away from their family um, for quite a while in a similar situation I, I don't want that to happen so mm. yeah we're just for the time being we're, we're biding time and uh, waiting to see how open the world becomes before we start heading off on new adventures really
1: yeah I think I think YouTube would very much like to see you soloing um Round europe and then it'd, into the mediterranean that would be a good one
2: it'd be an adventure yeah. yeah yeah but yeah again i don't really like now i used to be used to being away from my family like for 20 years I'd, i worked in jobs that took me away from from my family and it was just normal to me yeah uh, but yeah i just kind of just something just changed and i thought you know what i want to be with my family so mm. yeah I, I prefer to do that now so if i was to do that it would probably take you know a good 40 days or something even if i was to do it in a wanna so um yeah, it, that'd be a long time for me to be away from, from my family. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you could tie it in. You could pull up to nice marinas and they could come and stay with you for a week. And then the following week they could call yeah. you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, we've even bought an old camper van now. So we've got that as an option for, you know, alternative transport. So we could potentially, you know, do some kind of
0: video
2: yeah, repokery cool. with that. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, like what what we plan to do um, this year. I mean, you know, we are going to do it last year, but we couldn't get around to it is uh, I'm basically just going to solo sail like round Spain. Um, I'll probably do like a week on the boat, get to a nice destination like Mallorca or, you know, Ibiza or wherever. And then the missus will just drive over. Like it just saves the five days of, you know, potentially bad weather, family being on the boat. So we've got a two-year-old as well. Okay. So um, yeah, if it's like, you know, a metre to two metre waves and you're sailing upwind, like I don't want my wife and kid on the boat with me, unfortunately. (laughs) Like if we're doing that, it can get pretty unpleasant. Yeah. Girl or boy. 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 Yeah, yeah. he's uh, two in two weeks. So oh, yeah. he's, he's just got to the stage where he's becoming a very naughty little human. Um, <laughs> you can tell, he will not listen to a word you say. Like, he'll do something he knows is naughty. you be like, no, and then he'll just turn around and start laughing at you, then carry on. It's like, I don't know where you got this from. I hope I'm not like this. I don't think I am. <laughs> anyway, might, be from, might be from my wife's side, potentially. I don't know. But yeah, no, that would, that would have been a really, a really cool trip. Um, Yeah. I mean, hopefully you can do the the canal one again at some point. It's just, uh, it's nice to treat your boat like a barge in some way. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, exactly what the conditions are going to be. It's going to be flat waters uh, because you don't really get tides or wave systems in the canals. So you could just plan the whole thing and literally stick to the plan the entire way. It would be very nice. Whereas, yeah, if you go around Biscay, even if you're doing it coastal, like you still get unpredictable weather there in the summer.
2: Yeah. 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 We'll see. We'll see.
1: Yeah, So just because you mentioned there, like staying away from your family for 40 days, you worked in oil and gas. Have you always worked on rotation?
2: Um, Well, I joined the RAF when I was 17. So um, that was me leaving home, you know, at that early age. And then from then I've always worked away from home. So I I, I did used to visit home a lot, you know, for weekends and things. I'd come home. Um, But yeah, for the majority of my working life, I've been in places where, you know, my friends and family weren't. I just traveled around a lot. So yeah, and then when I went offshore, so I left the RAF and I went straight offshore. That was my first job after the RAF. And then, yeah, I was on rotation for the first couple of years. I was on, um, you know, more or less um, kind of four weeks on, four weeks off, Yeah. Um, sometimes a little bit more time away at work than than at home. Um, And then after that, I started a business Um, and then that kind of became all consuming. Twenty-four-seven kind of thing, almost, um, and that was in Italy. And it's kind of, kind of quite funny because I started that business in my naivety, thinking that that was going to give me more freedom to go and spend time doing other things. And then, <laughs> Depends how <hard> you work? <laughs> if you're a hard it, worker, it doesn't give you any more time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I underestimated. Anyway. I underestimated the amount of uh, of work that was involved in that. Yeah, but it was it was a great experience, and we got probably about fifteen years worth of life experience in that short period. You know. Mm. um so it was very good uh but yeah we definitely didn't have time to do anything other than work really yeah Uh, so and then I went back offshore again but then by this stage the the, the boat sales um the the boat dealership thing we did well it it was really hard work and it was kind of funny because we started that just before the big financial crash 2008 Mm. um so it was a, a strange time to be doing something like that but it kind of worked out really well so by the time I'd finished that um we were able to I was able to spend a lot less time offshore. So, you know, kind of ninety days a year, something like that. And the rest of the time we were free to to do other things. So
1: that's a really good mix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. Like if you've got something else going on, the offshore work is okay. But because yeah, like if you can do that, if you can do like three rotations, that basically covers your costs for the year, then you can be self employed for the rest. Like yeah, it's pretty good. You got the security, but then you can do your own thing as well. Just okay. So like you you were basically a McGregor dealer when you're in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I don't think anyone knows that about you. you no, YouTube. It, yeah, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Yeah,
2: it. it's a funny, it's a funny story, really. Yeah, how did you get into sailing um, mm. by becoming a boat dealer? Yeah,
1: <laughs> started selling boats before you could sail them.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd never even set foot on a sailing boat. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, basically, the, the story that behind that was um, I, a year, a very long time ago, somebody um, got me to read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. He was a friend of mm. mine, and that just kind of changed my outlook on life because I, you know, typically. As most people do they, they grow up and go through school and you learn that you've got to do this and then you get a job and then you do you know I, that was my view of the world um but yeah. that book just opened my eyes to a, a completely different way of of doing things um how old were you when you read that um just probably about 20 23 24 something like that
1: oh so you learned you learn quite young well yeah <laughs> takes some people their entire life to figure that out yeah exactly
2: yeah, yeah. um yeah i was lucky that, that my friend aiden um lent me that book and you know yeah, told yeah. me about it so yeah so that was the first kind of spark so i'd always been looking for ways of doing things that were you know a little bit out of the ordinary to to kind of create more freedom in life mm. um and so i was going to buy a house in italy so i'd, I'd met Rossella at this stage um and i wanted to spend some time in the uk and some time in italy and I thought, well, when I'm in Italy, if we buy a house, um, there are quite cheap houses up in the mountains in Italy, mm. um, especially from a from a kind of British perspective. You think, wow, yeah. why are they so cheap, you know? Uh, so, so it's can, Yeah, yeah, it's strange. People don't want to live there from yeah. living in this country. But for holidaymakers and things, you know, it's a really beautiful place to go and visit. So the plan was to buy a cheap house, uh, rent it out when we weren't using it, and then use it ourselves when I was at home from offshore. Yeah, so perfect. I was... I was driving out to the mountains to view a house, driving, riding uh, on a motorbike. At that point in time, I had a motorbike in the UK and a motorbike in Italy and no car. So it was like all (laughs) all weather, like raining, snowing, anything, I was on a motorbike. And this was a really hot, sunny day. So I was riding up to the mountains and um, I had an accident. This white van turned without indicating and I flipped the bike and crashed into him. and broke my collarbone. It was actually really, it was lucky because um, it was while I was in my like silly sling, slinged up with that that i kind of went back to the drawing board online looking for other ideas for for making money. so i couldn't go and view houses so i just started Mm. to explore other things and it suddenly dawned on me that i could buy a boat for a lot less than i could buy a house for and yet i could rent it out for more than a house so Mm. i thought well hang on i'll buy a boat then instead of a house
1: and charter business
2: yeah yeah well that (laughs) that was it so the plan was to buy one i thought i'll buy one and then i'll rent it out and then if that does well I can buy another one and rent it out and I had this vision of about 10 boats and so I I stumbled across these boats that were trailerable and they were perfect because I could have kept them on a trailer and then just put them into Lake Garda which is not too far away from here Mm. on on a boat ramp Um, and I thought well that's really cheap to keep them you know there's a lot of you you don't have to worry about anti-fouling and stuff you just put it in the in the water for a week at a time whenever they're hired and that's it so I had this vision of these these little fleet of boats Um, and then I discovered that the the manufacturer of those boats didn't have a dealer in Italy at that time. Okay. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I could get the boats at a discounted price and then rent them out. And that's,
1: you know, we win. <laughs> I was about to say, that, that, would, that would be a win regardless, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, get it I'll get them cheaper and then I could just use them myself.
2: Yeah. So that was yeah. that was how it started, but then it quickly grew arms and legs. So basically we exchange, I, I, I say I and we interchangeably here, because it started off, it was me causing all this trouble. Rossella was at uni, she mm. was, busy with her stuff (laughs) and because because i was like for four weeks at a time just just you know having when rossella was at uni i was free to do whatever kind of mischief mischief i wanted so i was doing all this stuff um so yeah i I basically agreed to become a mcgregor dealer and i had to order two boats as the first order Mm -hmm. um and then get them shipped over yeah so they came from california and they were you know loaded onto a train and then across to florida then onto a container ship and then over to Italy. um what size so yeah. were they well it's, they're 26 foot yeah tw- 26 so they they fit they just fit into a 45 foot high cube container with about that much room on either side right okay um so it's, you know they they made the boats for that reason they they yeah. actually sold i believe about forty thousand boats over the years that they were in business um oh, across the world the same, So
1: the same one as well
2: mcgregor yeah they, they had all different versions um mm-hmm. but the factory they it was a really massive um production line that they had going.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, wow, that's really impressive.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just something that, that came about like that. I, I saw this opportunity and, um, I mean, there were so many things going against it. There were so many things that, you know, were silly mm. in the sense that I didn't speak Italian at that time. Um, I didn't, I'd never set foot on a sailing boat. I'd never seen a McGregor in real life. I'd only seen them on the internet. Um, I didn't have any kind of licenses for using a boat. Or for towing a boat of that size, hmm. um, I had no business experience, so it was just it, it, there was all this <laughs> entire there was everything list everything against you on this. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was like you know crazy, but yeah. I was I was uh, young, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, and yeah. see how it works out. So yeah, it was it was kind of a bit scary because I had to the dollar the dollar exchange rate was very volatile around this. It was just before the, the 2008 financial crash. So at the time when- It was a good exchange rate though. For us, yeah, it, it was good. It yeah, was excellent, yeah. 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 Back then, yeah. Yeah. So when we first started, like when I had to raise the funds to, to buy these boats, um, of course I couldn't get a business loan because they'd have laughed me out of the bank. Mm. You know, you, you want to do what? You, what? In Italy, you don't speak Italian. You know, it, it just would have been farcical. So yeah. it had to be personal loans. So um, I got- basically the way I raised the finance was to just get two very large personal loans. Um, and, and at the time that was about hundred thousand dollars worth of loans. Mm. Um, so the way I did that was I I was pre-approved by my bank because I'd been banking with them since the very beginning when I started with the RAF had a long history. So they had like a 25,000 pound, which was $50,000, um, loan amount available to me. And then I just applied for the same amount with another bank. Um, and, made the application within five minutes of each other and they were both approved um and the purpose of the loan was to buy a boat
1: yeah
2: so, you no know, so one was the was for one boat and one loan was for the other boat and that's there we are that was it and then uh so it was a little bit you know i was anxious you could say about because I've, I've always been against debt you know like in, in the sense yeah, so. that i've never wanted to have debt and i've never had credit cards and all that sort of stuff so yeah. this was really the first debt i'd got into but it, it was good debt you know it was kind of it was for a yeah, it was an it wasn't investment to, yeah exactly it
1: to spend it on something stupid
2: yeah so um yeah that's how it started and then very quickly rossella got roped into this too because for example one of the first things we had to do was to translate the owner's manual for the boat and they already had an italian um owner's manual on file but we had to translate it anyway, just as a, as a test,
1: <laughs> you know, as, as a kind of could Google translate from the mid 2000s, they weren't exactly. that good.
2: Yeah. No, they, they really weren't. No. And so that was, that was quite funny because obviously um, you know, nautical language is a language in itself. So mm. you could have given me a manual about of a book in English and I wouldn't have understood half of it because it's all yeah, yeah. technical terms and jargon. And then it was in Italian and then Rossella didn't know anything about sailing. So we, we were, you know, the blind leading the blind Rossella, she, she translated this manual while she was at uni trying to do her thesis. And there was like a deadline, so it had to be really quick and stuff. And then we, had, we were translating things that neither of us knew yeah, what they you meant. You know, it yes, was just... You don't, it know what
1: the, yeah, if you don't know what the words are. Yeah.
2: So it was a very, very steep learning curve. But um, so it was quite funny. So the first, we we spent nearly all of the money on the boats. Like, and again, I'm using the we, I term uh, interchangeably because it started out as me. And then we, we both went in together to this um so we didn't have any money for premises really so the first (laughs) the first first premises we had um was it was in the town the little town where russell is from there's only one traffic light there still um and basically the place that we could find that was suitable was half a barn um of a farmer so it was there was the other half of the barn there was a camper van and an old tractor and like you know some random bits and bobs from from a a farm and there was Mm no road to get there it was a mud track to get to this barn um but it was cheap and that's that's what we needed to to begin with so we thought that'll do so we we hired this half a barn and then so it's really funny when the first customers came they'd found us via a website which we made we made this website um and we we kind of I'd had previous experience of building websites and I'd made a mess of it, but I'd learned things along the way. So by the time we got to this, I I kind of was in a better position. So we made a website that got to the first page of Google with certain search terms, which were were relevant. So we we found clients, um, you know, kind of automatically. So by the time the first boats came, we had a list of people wanting to come and see them. Um, But obviously they'd seen this website and they had assumed that they would be coming to see two or three 60 year old men, you know, the typical kind of boat dealer type thing mm. so they didn't realize they were meeting a really young couple but that's who we were so we um we thought how can we get to show people these boats in the least ridiculous way possible um so <laughs> <in the> barn. <laughs> yeah yeah so how do, how do we get into the barn without them um, you know driving off so, so we yeah. thought right we'll meet at the church so there was a church we met people in the church car park and we said, you know, come follow us. And then they'd follow us. And we'd be driving down the road. They must have been thinking, where the hell are we going? And then we'd get to this field and we'd indicate into the field and then turn off down this mud track and they'd follow us. And uh, it was funny, the different reactions with people. I remember one person in, in particular, this, this gentleman, stepped out of his car wearing a pair of white jeans and he was – He had a face, you know, like like he'd just been slapped with a kipper. He was like, what on earth is this? Like stepping out into the grass. He was wearing white jeans. And his his (laughs) wife didn't even get out of the car. She just stayed in the car. She was so shocked at this. Um, So that was one kind of reaction. But also the second person who came to view the boats bought one. So that was straight away. That was like the pressure was off. Mm. And and yeah, it all sort of started from there. So we did want to rent them out. um, But that the selling of the boats became so all consuming that that's what we did. We just did that. So, uh, you know, we went to like the Rome boat show, the first time we went there, I didn't speak Italian. So, I mean, you know, I knew a very small amount of Italian, but people were coming up like thousands of people asking question after question after question after question. Um, so, you know, I, I learned really quickly. Um, and that was, yeah, so that was a challenge, but again, we sold boats at that boat show, um, nice. and then and then you know as time went by we we got better at everything we eventually moved into a proper premises and um and yeah we got a lot more experience and it was it was really good then the time when we eventually got to the stage where we we, we kind of at the end of the, the time that we did this we had different options we could have either started to rent out the boats um you know the, the original plan mm-hmm. and that was an option for us but in 2010 the eu changed the vat rules and it was like the place of supply for vat and um the kind of business that, that we wanted to to do we would have had to charge vat um, and i wanted to do it through a uk company and it just it became what i wanted to do became impossible because of these new vat rules so that was ruled right. out um so we we could have kind of gone all into the the dealership got some staff to help us out and kind of expand we actually went to turkey and to poland and we, we went to another couple of boat manufacturers and and they offered us after the initial shock of you know
1: who were these two youngsters? Um, Zella is still in uni at this point.
2: Uh, no, she she'd left then. She, she'd left, she left uni, uni right, and okay. but yeah, we were in our you know like mid twenties basically.
1: Um, right. And
2: Actually, again, and so again, when we were you know approaching people to to become boat dealers uh, to to come and negotiate with them about the, 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 having their uh, dealership for Italy, mm. they again presumed that we were going to be sixty year old people. And then when we pitched up to meet them. You know, it was only then that they discovered how young we were and and uh, how baby-faced and everything. So, yeah, we, but again, initially there was that shock. And then we just, you know, we after a couple of days of being with them, um, they both in Turkey and Poland, they both offered us the, the dealerships for their country. So we had these other options and it was like, you know, this is going to be something we do forever. You know, we, we put everything into this and it becomes a very big thing. And I actually had, I, I remembered seeing we had... We started doing everything ourselves, the work on the boats and everything. And then certain things we used to subcontract. And I remembered seeing this this gentleman and his wife who were kind of in their sixties, who we subcontracted to, to fit engines for us. And we were there one night at like midnight because we were meeting a, we were meeting a client's deadline and we were there at midnight with these people working on the boat. And I just had visions of me and Rossella when we were like 50 or 60, you know, in doing that, situation. like in, do, yeah. do, meeting someone else's deadline. I thought this is not, that's not freedom you know mm. um, and of course you can get staff to replace you over over the years but it, it was just such a long thing to get to that stage that it it didn't make sense so we decided at that point to sell up um and then i went back offshore we, you know we, we kind of made some investments after selling up and then i went back offshore and we had then you know eight or nine months a year to do what we wanted so mm. that was such a transformation because we were working you know seven days a week there was no time for anything there was no time for eating sometimes yeah. you know it was crazy so
1: yeah, yeah it's a weird one like in a way you do you get more freedom from the sense of if you don't want to do something you don't have to do it but you will lose out if you don't do it so you do it <laughs> so it's, it's not like being self-employed or running your own business or doing your own thing just gives you the freedom to do whatever you want like you can but you have to sacrifice something if you have that attitude um and you're you're still dealing with nonsense you know, I've like I've been self employed for like four years now, and you still deal with the same types of stuff, and stuff still irritates you because you're still having to deal with people or you know stupid situations that type of thing. Yeah. So, like with regards to like, these little boats, how much did they retail? So sell for? Uh,
2: it depended. It was it was very variable, and of course the the dollar exchange rate had a big effect on that. Um, mm. It went from you know two two dollars to the pound. To, if I remember, this is a very long time ago now, but I think at one point it was like one dollar thirty per pound or something. You know, so it was it, mm. it made it made the contracts and everything really difficult, and also the lead times were were very variable. Sometimes it was six weeks from when somebody ordered a boat, and sometimes it was up to a year from when they ordered oh. it to when it. So it it was very difficult to.
1: Well, was that because of shipping or like manufacturing? Manufacturing,
2: shipping? yeah. They, used, right. they made the boats in California and it started to get very difficult to manufacture boats in California due to all the environmental regulations and things. Yeah, yeah. So the, the lead time just got longer and longer. Um, so, I mean, when we first started that, we had, and we did everything ourselves. The difference, as you were saying about being self-employed, the difference is with being self-employed and being an employee or, you know, working for somebody, you, you have a role. When you're working for somebody, you have a role and you do that role hmm. when you've got your own business. No matter how small it is, you've got fifty roles. You know, you do everything. You are the accountant. You are the the website your web developer. You are the salesperson. You are the negotiator. You you have to do everything. Mm. Um, you know, we used to write our own contracts. Everything, so we did everything. Um, so yeah, we we had it set up in a way that was really it was really very convenient. And we did this right from the very beginning because of this this position that we were in that we, which was quite stretched. We had things set up that the clients would pay. Um, you know, a certain amount to order the boat and then they'd pay another stage payment just before it was shipped. Mm. And then they'd pay the balance when we delivered it. So what that meant was that we, we basically had the entire cost of the boat covered by the client and we only, they paid for it and then we made our profit. We got our profit when we delivered the boat. So it was like yeah. a really safe, um, yeah. way of doing things. Uh, but b- when the lead times then start to get to a year, that was no longer feasible because people weren't going to wait a year. So we then had to start to invest, our own funds into boats to pre-order them, to get them over. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting. Um, and it was amazing to, to see how much we learned so quickly.
0: And you were young um, when you did this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Mid, mid, mid 20s, like 26, yeah, yeah. we started. And then, so due to the lead times as well, another thing that we did to, to kind of speed things up, we, we used to buy and sell boats. So we'd find sometimes we'd buy boats in the UK and then trailer them over to Italy uh, so that was interesting, and that was um, – we had some adventures with that too. You know, we'd like – some of the boats were 10 years plus old, so the trailers would the, – the wheels would seize on the motorway, and then we'd be there I'd be there changing a bearing on the side of a motorway in France or something, you know. It was like <laughs> interesting. But we always had the accommodation because the boats, you could use them as a caravan. So we used to just yeah, pull yeah. over into the, you know, um, like the lorry lorry parks and stuff and just go to sleep in the boat.
1: That's really good. Yeah. So. was said- a were you bringing them all down to Lake Garda?
2: Well, we we used to bring them to, to where to Modena, this this kind of area. Oh, yeah. um, that's I, used to, I used to work there. We based. okay, yeah,
1: yeah. No, well, no, we had a client there, and uh, we used to go there quite a lot. Um, this is when I was younger. We set up like a company that like imported staircases, and um, their their headquarters, the manufacturing facility, was very close to there. Um, the guy who owned the company had like a relationship with the guy that ram ferrari or something i can't remember what it was um but yeah really good business um until the euro started becoming strong and then it was a bad business because we couldn't import them and make a profit anymore so um yeah it makes think...
2: a huge difference yeah oh yeah massive yeah, yeah.
1: listen well, this, this like the same thing has happened to um the japanese as well like the, their currency is it's either so so strong or so so weak it completely especially in the energy industry because you get like a lot of stuff that is made in japan um, like a lot of compressors, a lot of uh, steam and gas turbines, that type of stuff for power plants. Um, if their exchange rate isn't favourable, they just can't sell anything. Like it's just impossible. They can't beat. So yeah, it's like we said before. Like with regards to the um, exchange rate between like the dollar and, and the euro. Uh, yeah, it can literally just destroy a business. Um, yeah, weird. I
2: mean it, it makes it it makes it very interesting. We you know we were okay through it all, uh, but it did make for. I mean, again, I said we wrote the contracts. We wrote into our contracts. Exchange rate clauses—you know that if the exchange rate went above a certain amount, the mm. client would have to pay more—and and that was that was written into the contract that they signed right. when they ordered the boat. That wasn't always easy to.
1: Yeah, that's, to enforce. that's not a
2: hard one to negotiate. You, you know, I mean, I mean, we we had it in black and white, and they'd signed it, but that that didn't mean that they were always happy with it. You know, if it went if it went in their favor, they weren't going to be arguing with it. But when it went against them, um, yeah, that that was that resulted in some difficult conversations, but could you not have
1: just done the sales in dollars or would that be, would it have been harder to actually try and do that? Yeah,
2: we could have done that, but it's exactly the same situation. You know, when they do the stage payment, if they order the boat in dollars, when they go Mm -hmm. to do the stage payment, the price that they would have had to pay would have been completely different depending on the exchange rate. And we were also, Mm -hmm. this was our problem, but we were also dealing in GBP. We were, we were running this through the UK as well. So we had three different currencies. The accounting was interesting for that too. So yeah, it was a, it was a really kind of, educational few years mm. we learned tons of things and it was it was really good i mean at one point we even we bought a boat um and we used a, a special contract again drew, drawn up by us that we we bought a boat. we paid a security deposit to the to the seller and then we took a, a blank bill of sale with us you know kind of a pre-compiled bill of sale and then we, we transported the boat to italy and we sold it to somebody without ever owning it you know we 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 didn't have our name on any of the paperwork, so then mm-hmm. we were able to to create a transaction without ever having owned the boat. So yeah, oh, nice. was,
1: lots of creative ways. Yeah. What was yeah. the idea? So with with regards to the uh, like charter business, I suppose was the idea for this like day rentals because they're not big. You couldn't really a, a have week, a yeah, for a, week, a week, right? Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, just just yeah, a couple or whatever for for a week. Um, yeah. And they could have so just like stayed a out, caravan holiday a, or something. Yeah, like basically, that. yeah. Just yeah. For, for new, for new um, you know, people who potentially have never been sailing before. Because the mm. one of the advantages of these boats, and uh, one of the reasons that lots of people bought them as their first boat, including us, <laughs> was that um you know it's it's got a big massive output engine on the back. They've got mm. they're, they're a sailing boat, but they can actually do up to 20 knots. Um they've oh. got, yeah, it's pretty amazing. They've got it's got an in inbuilt water ballast underneath yeah. so when you want to sail well under normal conditions you, you you have the boat with the water ballast full so you just open a valve then the water comes in uh, by gravity and you plug up you plug the valve and 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 the uh, the top of the tank and that remains in place so when when the boat heals you're then lifting you know several hundred kgs of water out yeah. of the water and therefore it, it gives you your ballast um, but when you want to go fast you can open the valve and then just with gravity when you go fast with your outboard you'll just flip out the engine the, the, the um the water empties and then it becomes you know i don't remember the, the figures it was such a long time ago now but it's several hundred kgs lighter I think it's around about 400 kgs of water or something so the boat then becomes very light and it can plane you can actually water ski behind it um no way, and I then you could trailer it easily too because it was a lot lighter, so lighter. on the road yeah There's a really, really kind of intelligent concept. It's a love it or hate it boat. You know, some pure sailors often hated it Mm. and pure motorboaters hated it. Um, But there was a sizable proportion of people who just enjoyed it for what it was. And it solves a lot of problems for people. Um, You know, if you're a new sailor and you're not an expert and you've got a young family or something, then if you see storm clouds on the horizon, you can be back in the port in no time at all at 20 knots. Yeah, 20 knots,
1: we're back over. Yeah, so... That's yeah. genius. I mean, I mean,
2: the, the sales numbers validated the concept. You know. Yeah, they, of course. They, yeah, they
1: made so the f- many thousands of them. Yeah. If they did that so, for like a thirty-foot boat. Do you know, like, with headroom inside, like, so it could actually be like the, a there proper was, weekend. The, the, the,
2: it was one eighty-three. The headroom in there. They were. They had headroom in there. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were actually really big. The internal volume for a twenty-six-foot boat. It was. It was impressive. It was like. Yeah. They were quite slender, but they were really quite, quite large inside.
1: Quite right, spacey. Hmm. That's, that's fantastic. I don't know they could do that. There's another brand in America that sell, I mean, there might be a couple, I don't know, but yeah, there's one I noticed because uh, I've like, seen little clips on YouTube where a sailboat just all of a sudden gets up on the plane and starts like booming it through like, like a marina or something like that. You're like, what, what on earth is this abomination of a vehicle here? <laughs> do you know what I, mean? I, I actually think it's really cool. Like, I, I would like it. I just wonder how sturdy they would be in some rough conditions. But then yeah. I suppose if the conditions get rough, you just. Tip the water out of the yeah, key well, and then it just not, shoot off
2: that's what you would that's what you would think but actually they're, they're actually a lot more robust than than people might yeah. think despite them being they are lightly built you know that the fiberglass is thin but that just goes to show how strong fiberglass is in the sense that oh, yeah. you know there's actually a video if you go on if you go on youtube and search for it there's a video of a mcgregor out in like you know at least at least two probably more like three meter waves and they're just out sailing it. And and we know ourselves, you know, we had some expert sailors come along one day when we had the boat in in Ravenna and they were trying to break the boat. You know, that, that they were they were sailing it as as aggressively as they could. And you yeah. could see that they, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to to see if they could break it. And they couldn't. And they didn't. No. They didn't. It was <laughs> it, it it wasn't pleasant for Rossella that trip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they it was, it was, it, it did really well. They're quite tender initially because water ballast is, is different. You know, it's different from a lead keel mm. um, in the in the sense that the, the curve is different. It, they tend to heal quite a lot initially, but then they firm up. So if you've never been on one before, like the initial heel, you think, "Oh, wow, this is healing quite a lot for this kind of you know this this uh, these weather conditions." But actually, if you if you push it a little bit further, you feel it stiffens up. Mm. And by the time you get to kind of 15 degrees, it's a lot stiffer than you think it's going to be. Yeah, um, So it's a, it's a very different kettle of fish from a, a standard boat, but they are very good at what they do. And you can have some great holidays on them, you know, you can have, have some great yeah. adventures with a little boat like that. And also because they're, they're trailerable in a weekend, you know, you can potentially go somewhere. If you've got a boat in one place mm. and you've only got weekends available, that means you're going to see that place and nowhere yeah. else. Whereas if you've got a boat that can do 50 mile an hour, you can get to different places really quickly. You
1: can take your boat on the motorway. Yeah, Exactly. They are convenient for that. Like there, there is there's a certain part of me that would like to just like get a little 25 foot trailable boat. Just so if I want to go, you know, to, I don't know, France, it's not going to take me like two weeks to get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's, day sailing. I, I can just drive there in a day and it will be done.
2: Yeah. It's also like, I'm really, I like to be in control of things in the sense that I like to do all my own boat work and things like that. Yeah. And, with a boat like that, you can just, if you've got a garden that's big enough, you can keep it at home and mm. you don't have to pay anything for mooring fees. So if you're in Italy, that is a big thing because moorings here, you know, are really expensive.
0: Yeah. Whereas
2: all you need is a little patch of land. It can be a quarter of a barn or it yeah. can be um, just the corner of a field or in your garden, wherever. You can just keep it at home and then trailer it wherever you need it.
1: Yeah. No, it's really convenient from that perspective. Like there's a few, there's a few, um, there's a few guys in america who I, I presume they live in florida or something but they're able and they've got big boats like 30 to 40 foot boats they're able to take them out and because they live so close to waterways just like haul them out and have them dumped in the backyard and then they can do like all the winter work in the backyard um so much more convenient because it's like down here in winter the sailing conditions are pretty bad like you'll do day sails but you're not gonna you, you, if, if you've got your family with you you're not gonna think right let's go and do 80 miles today like an upwind sail, you're not going to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, you can, but it's not going to be pleasant. And, you know, it gets cold as well. Um And then like to to get, to take your boat out here and have it put on the hard, it costs more than leaving it in the marina uh, per day. So like, you'll do like an annual contracts for your marina and then you have to pay, you know, like probably 2.5 times that for however long you've actually got it out. And then you rushed, and you got a week to finish everything and then summer breaks and you have to wait for a part. And then, you know, ends up costing you like thousands by, yeah. by the time you finish with it. It's crazy. So yeah, to be able to do that. Yeah. Sadly. And also
2: you've got options like when we, we used to keep them here, we did for a time we had boats, well, we had a boat at a marina for demonstration so we could just get in the car and go Then it was in the water ready to go. Mm. But also any boat that we had here in this location, we're kind of in the middle of Italy at the, at the top. So you can either go to the Adriatic or you can go the other way to the Tyrrhenian, or you can go up to Lake Garda and you just, you know, it's dead easy to, to move the boat. And also in the vast majority of places you can find a free boat ramp. Yeah. You just stick the boat in the, in the water yourself, get out yourself. So you don't have to, it's it's not just about saving money, which it is, but it's also the independence. You know, I like to be able to just go and do my own thing without having to book something. So if you've got a boat ramp, you get there when you want, you do mm-hmm. your own thing and you get out without having to ask anybody. So
1: Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really nice. So um, I suppose like with, with regards to the concept of like getting it set up for a charter business and then you, you didn't end up doing that, you ended up selling them anyway. Was just from like a business perspective, was it was it easy to sell these things or was it tough? Because like, I, I imagine when you get into that class of like 40 to 50 foot boats and you're a dealer, you've if somebody walks in and they have the cash to splash, they, they will know what they're buying. You don't really have to sell it. Like if you're selling like a new 40 foot Beneteau, just show them the inside, you know, all oh, this nice wood, whatever, pretty, deck's big. Was it like that with this yeah. size of a boat or was it a tough sell?
2: No, it wasn't a tough sell. I wouldn't necessarily agree with with, with the thing about the boat. You will definitely get clients like that. You know, there are, there are, in fact, there was one gentleman, uh, <laughs> he saw us at a petrol station one day and he, he was a guy who, you know, he was, he was very well off. Um, but he was it was a really funny, funny gentleman. He—he he, when we first saw him, he was at this petrol station. He was like, "Oh, that's good. What's that? That's cool." It was like, "All right." And he took our details down. And we thought that was—that was the end of it, you know, because he—he he just seemed happy-go-lucky sort of thing. And then he got in touch with us. He came to see us. We—he booked a, a kind of test sale at Lake Arda. He pitched up with no no shirt on. um, he had a, a five euro note in his hand. Literally he carried a five euro note. No, that was it. Cause he didn't have any pockets in his shorts. I think he just had this five and that was for his ice cream after, <laughs> after his sale. And he right. came and, and he bought the boat. He bought it for himself for a birthday present. Right. Um, what he, a legend. Like, He was a guy who owned a, owned a company and he just, you know, didn't, didn't give a monkeys what anyone thought of him. He was just himself. It was brilliant.
1: I like uh, people like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah like like that. so,
2: so that was one particular guy. And then, yeah, when I say, you know, there is selling to be done, it depends. It depends if you've got X number of boats and you've got a list of people this long who want to buy them, then you don't, you don't have to sell. And and you can just, you go, there's the boat and you don't have to do anything. If you've got X number of boats and, you know, a shorter list of people, then it does help if you try and encourage people to buy, mm. um, you know? So, and again, somebody who walks into a dealership and, and doesn't get a particular kind of service could then easily walk into another dealership and receive a different kind of service and then end up buying there. And actually when it comes to buying and selling, um, a lot of it is, it's kind of psychology. And it's a lot to do with personal, you know, people buy from people and people sell to people. Um, So like some of the boat deals we've got when we bought boats, we've, we've paid a lot less than the seller could have got for them. Um, Just because we've kind of, we've done it in a certain way. And we've, we've either struck, struck up a relationship with them, or we've we've kind of we've pitched our offer in such a way as to, as to make them think yeah this makes sense so I'm gonna sell the boat
1: mm. um, so yeah but that's I mean you've been doing this for years because you've been you've been doing business like by yourself since you're in your mid20s so you, you just learn those types of things yeah and you and uh, taught them yeah every yeah.
2: everything that every kind of negotiation is a learning opportunity yeah. and then so when you go to a boat show and you've got literally you know, over the course of a workshop thousands of people come in and and a lot of them will will make cheeky offers and push you you know see see if if they can work out where your boundaries are and you know people come and say oh, what if i buy 10 boats um how much you know people do this and you can't tell whether they're being serious or not you have you have to treat them as though they're serious mm. and every one of those conversations is a new um opportunity for you to learn negotiating skills so
1: yeah it
2: was really interesting and we learned loads
1: yeah, it's it's good practice as well. I mean, the thing like I've been in in sales my entire life, and it's it's good to um, when you know someone's not serious, you can pick it up quite quick. you can be like, I don't think this person is buying. It's good to like just practice a little bit of negotiation on them. Um, you know, the most stupid. Oh, it's, this is just like synonymous for the Middle East. But um, I was uh, when I moved over to Spain, I was I didn't want to bring my car with me, uh, but I ended up doing. Um, because it was it's like probably worth double here in Spain what it was over there. So um, I remember I, I advertised it and there's a few people coming around and like, it's absolutely standard in the Middle East. They'll be going, well, what's your bottom price? Or what's your lowest price? Or, you, you know, you advertise it for 20 and they're just like, well, I'll give you 10. And it's, like, it's standard what you'd expect. Do you know, like negotiating on like a black market in some foreign countries, something like that. I remember one guy came, it's a nice car and he was like, oh, so what's your bottom price? I was like, actually, my bottom price is like 10,000 more than I've quoted. That's my bottom price. And he was like, no, 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 it's got to be lower. I was like, why would I tell you my bottom price? Why, why would I do that? Why would I tell you the minimum I would accept for this? <laughs> like, why would I do it? And he just starts laughing. I'm like, your skills are weak, mate. <laughs> That's what it works. <laughs>
2: yeah. it's You get some surprises, you know, depending on the situation. Sometimes we would set the price for a boat. And we knew it was high, mm-hmm. you know, like we were, we had one boat for sale with like full of options and everything. It was, it was 55,000 euros and that w- that had actually been used for a, for a short amount of time too. And we knew that some people would say, you're joking. No, one's going to pay that much for that. And and some people did say that. Yeah, yeah. We, we also knew that one person was going to buy it and that's, yes. that's what happened. And so sometimes depending on the situation we were in at that moment in time, sometimes we would have a price that was, just fixed. And that was the easiest way of doing it. You know, you, you set the price that you're willing to accept and then you don't budge a Euro. And then that makes any kind of conversation with, with sellers just really simple. And you can even say to people, you know, before you travel, that they'd phone up and come to book a viewing. You'd say, right, before you travel here, just to let you know that that is the price. So you know that before you come here, don't come if you're not prepared to pay that price because we're not going to negotiate. Um, So that can work. um, Or, you can price it with a bit of margin for negotiation if you want to do it that way. It's just,
1: how standard is it with boat brokers when it comes to like new <laughs> sales that they, they advertise for a much higher price that they're willing to sell. Cause like if you, if you, like if you went into like Mercedes or BMW, and they were advertising a new, like a new, I don't know, five series. I don't know if they even do five series anymore. I'm thinking for like to the 90s. But if they do like a new five series and it costs like 40,000, I can't imagine you could walk into a say like BMW and be like, I'll give you 35.
2: No, no. I think I think there's always some wiggle room uh, with, yeah. with with everything. But um, yeah, I think if you're talking about something that's very kind of, um, you know, regimented, then you're going to be really, really tied to their prices. and And also the culture of, of the people who worked there might not be so receptive. You know, we were like we we used to buy the boats at a set price from the factory, and then we could just do what we wanted. So we had oh, complete so there's no freedom recommended to do like retail price or anything. No, like that. no, that we just oh, did what we wanted. So yeah, it was it was quite a free setup. We had kind of a gentleman's agreement between ourselves and the factory of of the mm-hmm. things that we could and couldn't do, but it was really quite you know it wasn't restrictive.
1: Right, so like you as the dealer in Italy, you just couldn't lowball the entire European market. We do, to... There
2: were no, no. We could do anything we wanted. We could sell it for yeah. a euro more than we bought it if we wanted to. Yeah, there was no, there was no price matching between countries or anything like that. It
1: That's was... really strange that such a big business would just allow like.
2: Well, they had a they had a set to do whatever they want. Yeah, they had a set percentage discount from their retail price, which was the US retail price. Yeah, and then beyond that, you could do what you wanted, but they know that you know you're not going to spend the time and effort and energy to to import a boat from the U S over to Europe and then sell it for five euros profit. You know, it's just the market sets the price, you know? So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Plus it's your competitors as well. Like if you, if your competitors are charging like 30 grand for a 26 foot, you're not going to be like, Oh, I'll do it for 20 and sell loads. Like it doesn't really work out like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So you got out of, um, selling boats, (laughs) right. And then you went, so I suppose you went back into the oil and gas industry for a bit. Yeah,
2: I just went yeah. back offshore because we we kind of looked at our life and we thought, right, we're we're doing this. It's it, it is successful, but if you're you know it doesn't matter if you if you're making money if you if you're not able to enjoy, enjoy life, yeah. then there is no point. So yeah. we we just sold up at that point and and at that stage, I was able to go back offshore, but for like three or four months a year, and there was no pressure and it was it was just very relaxed. And then the rest of the time, we had time off, which for me was a big thing because um, you know, from a very long time before that, my, like I was, ju- I'd done the RAF at 17. And then whenever I was coming home, I generally tended to go out with my friends and family, mm. friends rather than family, uh, because, you know, a young lad, I'd come home and go out, with, go out with the boys, you know? Yeah. Um, and then unfortunately my dad passed away when I was relatively young. And that made me realize that actually, you know, I should have been spending time with my family because that's really important. And, um, so from that point on, I was like, I want to try and make my own family a, a priority. And then not long after that, I met Rossella, who was Italian. And I started to spend a lot of time in Italy. So it was kind of... So at this stage... perspective. Yeah. And then, so, so I said before, naively, I thought, when I start this business, I'm going to be my own boss. And if we want to go and spend two months in the UK, we can. Um, but that was, you know, that's not what happened. We got sucked into this and it consumed us. So we didn't spend much time at all in the UK. Mm. So selling up, that then allowed us to do more of a, a cross-border lifestyle which suited us both well because we could we could both see our families and both spend time in, in our countries um and also have time to do you know other things any other things that we want to do in life so,
1: mm. yeah. so how, how did you find i mean because you met rosella i suppose when you were pretty young like you were in your early 20s she was uh, she was studying at uni um and you hadn't really traveled the world that much when you met her and you started spending time with her, so like your learning experience in terms of like learning about new cultures, new environments, different types of societies and people, uh, must have come pretty full force because you just went white whack straight into the Italian stuff.
2: Yeah, well, it was yeah, it was different living and traveling a different. You know, i had been to over thirty countries when I met Rossella mm. because Those I was in the R- work. Yeah, yeah, with the RAF, I traveled around a lot. Not only with like the actual military stuff, but I also did lots of adventurous training. I used to play rugby yep. and stuff as well. So I'd travel a lot for that. We went to the States and Cyprus and you know different places doing those sorts of sorts of things too. So I had travelled quite a bit, but um yeah living yeah
1: like know, family it,
2: life in, immersed in a culture is is very different. Mm. Um and Italy is yeah it's a very it's a very different culture considering it's only you know twelve hundred miles from the yeah. UK it's surprisingly different the way the way that Italians think about many different things. Um, Obviously the language is different. Um, Even the the culture in the sense that when you've got a group of Brits sitting around a dinner table, people tend to talk one at a time and wait for each other to to finish talking. (laughs) Italy's just like, you know, like 20 people all talking over each other. And it's difficult, even, even when you speak fluent Italian, it's quite difficult to follow a conversation because it's so disjointed and everybody talks, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Um, so when you, when you're trying to learn Italian in that environment, it's just, you know, it makes your head Mind explode. And, and by the time you've, you've thought of something to say that, that half intelligent, the conversations moved on like to three different <laughs> subjects. Gone
1: already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it
2: was tough, but, but That's it was tough. good. And, and the business really for that was, was great because if it wasn't, it wasn't for that, Rossella's always spoke, you know, fluent English yeah. and that made me lazy. Um yeah, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for the business I, w- I wouldn't have learned it as not anywhere near near as, as quickly as I did I just mm. had to because people were asking me questions and I had to be able to answer them without going through Rossella so yeah it was yeah it was
1: I've put no effort at on into Spanish like none uh, like my, my wife's from Syria so her first language is Arabic although she had like a uh, she had a Welsh granddad or like adopted Welsh granddad I suppose so uh, her English has always been like really really spot on. And uh, I could actually speak decent Arabic before I met her. And then when she okay. was just like reeling off this incredible English and she, no, no, I don't want to do Arabic. I want to learn to get better at English. And I want to speak more British than American type of thing. Uh, I just didn't practice at all. I was like, why am I wasting my time trying to speak a different language? And my wife doesn't want to, you know, <laughs> so completely gave it up. And when we moved to um, Spain, all my business is still in the oil and gas industry, like in the Middle East where you just speak English because it's, it's like the default language for yeah. the oil and gas industry. Um, not speaking any Spanish neither. And I work from home. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just like, there's no, there's there was nothing encouraging me to, um, encouraging me to learn it, which is pretty ignorant actually. It's pretty typical of a Brit, you know, like moving overseas and expecting everybody to be able to speak to you. Although yeah. not to expect it.
2: No, no, but the reality is that that's, you know, often if you enter into a, a situation where you try and speak the language and they, they see that you're useless, People often switch to English just to make the situation easier, yeah. which, then, which then it's helpful in the short term, but in the longer term, it's not helpful for you to learn the language because if you always get bailed out, then it's difficult for you to overcome those obstacles and learn the new things that you need to learn to get things done. So.
1: Yeah. The Spanish are quite nice as well, really, when it comes to that. Like if, if you if you converse in the basics and you and they can tell oh it's trying that's nice they're like they'll just start talking to you in english if they can, or they will speak a lot slower or you know they'll do something with their hands and we can all speak to each other through our hands you know it's universal language just wave point whatever so yeah it works out pretty good from that charades i remember (laughs) there
2: was was a local kind of hardware store near near where the boat was near near our first barn and yeah they became experts at interpreting you know charades and like we to draw things and because yeah. I was, you know, I was doing quite technical things and, and having to explain them. And it was it was just, they're things that even if you learn a language, you still don't learn the technical things, which you have to, yeah. it's like another layer of language that you have to learn. So mm. yeah, they were very helpful indeed.
1: Yeah. You know, like Italy, I, it's just, like the food, the people, the, the scenery, the, the water, it's just amazing. But the one thing I don't like about Italy is they are mental drivers. Like I've never been to a country in my life where in just a completely placid environment, all of a sudden everyone starts beeping at you and you're like, oh my God, is there a terrorist somewhere? Is there 10 ambulances and I need to move out of the way? And they're like, no, the light just went green like one second ago. So now I'm a public enemy. Like, it's just, it's crazy. The amount of honking goes on in the cities in that country, it's Yeah, it's it's
2: a very regional country. Mm. It's actually, it's only been a country for, you know, 160. years. Yeah, it's years.
1: recent history. Yeah,
2: um, So each region is very different still. Um, So yeah, we're in the North where it's, it's more it's more kind of northern european in some it's it's not northern european but it's closer to northern european culture than than the south of italy um so the driving that the standard of driving is better but like you know you just you learn to read like at roundabouts you just learn to understand from the position of the road whether somebody is turning or not because they never indicate nobody ever does yeah. so yeah, and you can't get frustrated with that i used to you know there are certain things normal that, for them yeah, yeah yeah i used to think oh why don't you just indicate it'd be so much easier and then that's not that's not going to change anything you're just going to no. get annoyed and, and you're going to annoy the people around you so you just have to learn that that's the way it is and you get on with it so yeah. you learn that if somebody's slightly closer to the roundabout that means they're turning towards you and if they're on the other side they're going to go that way and you just mm. you learn to adapt um but yeah it's a really it's a really nice culture it's very nice for children um
1: good family a, setup uh, yeah 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 that's one thing we do like about spain a lot and you know, I think it's probably more common in most countries or definitely most countries outside the big cities, but definitely outside of like the States and the UK where I've think the culture is reversing itself a little bit in terms of like progress, you know, like for kids and then people in the twenties, I don't think the social media keeping up with the Kardashian thing. I don't think this is doing anyone any favors. Um, but definitely in like the Mediterranean, definitely mainland Europe, like the family setup is a lot stronger, um children are just a lot nicer as well like the, the teenagers like in in the south of spain you see teenagers just like walking around holding hands like singing songs and stuff or um you know they're like the 16 and they're out and they're having a beer but they're not like smashing windows um like it's just uh, just a lot nicer than you than you get in the uk or oh, maybe yeah i'm from wigan so maybe it might be a wigan <laughs> thing. you're from blackpool so like, you're probably used to it as well
2: yeah yeah. yeah um it, it's nice the way that families are involved in things like mm. here you know you go out to it's that's that's a cultural thing as well with bedtimes and things but you know you go out at 10 o'clock at night here and you see little children still yeah. out and about doing things with their parents um whereas most children in the uk would be tucked up in bed at that point um
1: oh, if you saw a family with like a five-year-old out at 10 30 you'd look you'd be like you bad people you yeah. Know? <laughs> like yeah. They, you, yeah yeah yeah. poor child should be in yeah. bed yeah so it's, how are you raising that kid yeah. yeah.
2: But driving, yeah, I appreciate your point. And like when we used to tow boats,
1: Ooh, you know, <laughs> I can imagine.
2: <laughs> and it's, it's, it's quite a big, you know, between the, the car, from the car to the back of the mast mm. is nearly just under 15 meters. Yeah. So it's a big, big old thing to be towing about. Um, and yeah, and, you know, some of the things like I remember one particular exit in Rome, in particular, where we were going around the like the circular road around Rome to go to the boat show. And there was one sign that I learned after the first time we went there, there was a sign hidden out of the way that's like covered by trees. So you don't actually see it until you're about 20 meters before the junction. Okay. It just pops out here and that's where we needed to go. So, it's, you know, Oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, some, sometimes it's not, and also like you'll have slip roads in Italy. I mean, I don't want, it's a beautiful country. I, I just want to point out some things which are different, which can have a practical difference in your life. So slip mm. roads in Italy, you have often a slip road, which is the point where you enter the road and also the point where you exit. Yeah.
1: I know what you mean. The
2: same slip, you know, you you come the same. So you've got people coming along and slowing down to exit and people coming along, speeding up to enter. And it's like, you couldn't design a better accident causing situation, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that takes a little bit of getting used to again, when you're towing a big boat behind you, it's you've got to be aware of things. And also yeah. when you, when your GPS takes you through some random little village up a hill because, because you know, it's taking you around a random route and there's balconies and the boat is, you know, it was
1: interesting. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's really cool. So uh, question, when did you, because you're, the stuff that you put on YouTube, is like really informative really educational especially some of like the uh, the DIY hacks that you put on there like I've I've watched them like over the years but like whoa that's a really good idea that'll save me like 500 quid or you know I, I don't need to buy this because you just came up with a really good solution for it when did you decide that you wanted to start doing that
2: yeah well basically you know technically I've got I've got loads of experience from I used to maintain uh, helicopters and, and jets and things when I was in the RAF. Hmm. so I've got loads of Mechanical experience to fall yeah. back on, and then after that, with the offshore, I, I worked with, or I worked because I've not been offshore for a while now. I just stay at home instead, but um, I worked with ROVs, uh, underwater robots, and they're you an got, operator. Yeah, I was a, a pilot tech initially, yeah. and then supervisor after that. So it was basically it's, um, it's a me- you know often they are mechanical, but they're always electric and electronic as well. So mm. I had to learn that whole new side of things too uh, when i when i started offshore and then that's basically the perfect training for owning in a boat you know because you can mm-hmm. look after anything mechanical and anything electrical um and then the first youtube channel that i started which i've still got um it was a it was a how-to channel so it was just and it well not just how to but basically it's a channel where i make videos about whatever i want you know, there's no subject, there's no neat niche, mm. niche sort of subject that it follows along. It's not, it's not chronological. It's just whenever I want to make a video about something random, I just do it. Um, and the ones that I started to make were how-to videos. Like if I was doing a job in a car, I'd do a how-to video on how to do that. And they, they started to do really well. Um, so I just saw that it's a good way of Like I've always been the kind of person who, when I was driving down the road, if I saw somebody broken down, I would stop and I'd help them get them back on the road or change the tire or whatever. I just like helping people. Um, And I saw that this was a way of doing that, but it was really time efficient. You know, you, you do this thing once, you put it online and then three years later, there are still people being helped by what you've done. And it's just, it's really nice. Um, So yeah, I I decided to, to do those videos. And then I made a couple of videos about, when we bought our boats, like I made one video about how to clean your hull, you know, just diving in mask and snorkel, just scrub it basically. But the key to that video was the the paint that was used rather than the actual act of going under and holding your breath and scrubbing it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, But that was something that was saving us 2000 euros a year, you know? And for somebody who doesn't know if they can afford to own a boat or not, that can be the thing, the one thing that makes them Decide, yes, I can, and it, yeah. that could then give you give them this opportunity to do something that they might not have other, otherwise been able to do. So I like to to put things like that out there. Um, so yeah, I started to make those videos, and then when the sailing videos were doing quite well, I I actually seen another sailing channel doing their thing. I thought, oh, do you know what? That looks pretty cool. Um, so that's when we started our YouTube channel, and it again it started out. The timeline on our channel is is very disjointed because it was never, like, this week we're doing this. And this week we're doing that. And this week we're doing that, you know, that makes for a really good story and Mm. that works really well for a lot of YouTube channels because it's, it's kind of like the homeland thing, you know, you have to tune in to see what happens next. And that means that their analytics and everything are very good because everybody wants to repeatedly watch their stuff. Or if they stumble across a video, they then say, right, let me go back to the beginning and they Mm. start from episode one and they work through them. So in terms of growth of your channel, that's a very good way of doing it. But um, I wanted to just kind of create value from the beginning. So, you know, like little tip tip and trick videos and things like that. So that's what I started to do. And then as time go, time has gone by, we have done a little bit more like, you know, this is what we're doing now. Like when we, when I was doing the refit on Britaly.
1: Yeah. They were really good.
2: That was, yeah, it, it was, there was a period of time where I was making daily videos, like, cause we had this deadline to get the boat in the water and we were trying to make the deadline and every day I was, but that was, that was just with hindsight. I don't know how my head didn't explode, honestly, because, We were on a boat on the hard with a six month old baby. Um, I was refitting the boat, like with a deadline. So it was really rushed. I was filming sometimes three videos at the same time. So like when I was doing the sail drive Mm -hmm. and the rudder, those two jobs were going on at the same time. And, And I was filming two videos for the sail drive. Because I was doing one video that was like a daily video, right? This is what I'm up to today. And then I was doing another video, which was going to be the eventual video that I did about the whole hour and a bit long video, like start to finish, how to change the, di- the diaphragm. Mm. So I was filming, I, I, and then at night, I'd finish work at like 10 o'clock at night on the boat. I'd start editing, and I'd be there till two in the morning to get that video online. And then the next day, I was up at six with Emma, and it all started again. It was like that every day. A lot of work. So, it, oh, God, yeah, it was it was manic. Um, but yeah. It was, it was good. We
1: enjoyed they it. They were really informative. Like, do, do a really good. Thanks. I think that was actually the first video I watched where, because I, I don't have a sail drive on my boat, but I knew, okay, if I end up getting one in the future, I, I it will probably have one because more of them do that now. Um, but yeah, it was the first one I'd ever watched where you were like t- taking it apart and servicing it and putting the new, what, what do you call it? The bit that goes- Yeah, the,
2: the diaphragm. sub so, diaphragm. diaphragm. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were changing that. I was like, oh, that's, that's actually really cool because I've never seen anyone do that before. Um, back then, I mean, I'm sure there's more- Channel's done it now, but yeah, like you did it, you did it quite a while ago with yours, so it was really cool. Um, so just explain because I know that you got this boat like on a pretty wicked deal, but it needed the work doing, and you did it yourself, so you saved a hell of a lot of money. Like, what what was the story with that?
2: Yeah, basically, we had our boat in Italy, which is a 30-footer. Um, and you know, we loved that boat. Um, I I'd been looking at at bigger boats for a while because Rossella was pregnant. And, you know, because we, when we go on the boat, it's not just like for a weekend. We, t- we tend to go on there for like, you know, several weeks at a time. And we, yeah. we live there. We, we kind of work from there. We, it's more of a, a home for us as well as being a boat to move around. Um, so we wanted to, to look at options for bigger boats. And I, I just stumbled across this, this boat, you, you know, my, my view on this is if you want to buy a boat in five years, start looking today, Yeah. you know, it's all time well invested and you, you if you get to learn market and you know the market then when it's time for you to buy you can spot a deal and it just sticks out like a sore of you know it's a good deal
1: you just straight away you're on it you're like that's cheap it's in good condition get it yeah
2: so i wasn't actually looking to buy a boat but when this deal popped up it was it was amazing i thought wow you know i've got to know more about this so that was it. it's a very 350 uh they tend to sell you know if you look now they're they're probably about thirty-five thousand pounds plus you know easy um and this one was for sale for 26,000 it was advertised at 26,000 so it kind of drew my attention for that um it was in the uk it was in the south of the uk which is obviously not not from where i'm from mm. but it was in the uk so I, I inquired about it and it was difficult to get information initially um and i think the reason for that was that um the broker who was selling it was interested in the boat
1: <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs>
2: so that was quite difficult but I, I persevered and then um and basically what i did was and this is something that i've helped other people do too afterwards um if you know via youtube you get to meet lots of people and you can mm-hmm. people get in touch and you can kind of help them on a one-to-one basis so i actually made an offer on the boat which was something we used to do with the the boats that we bought in the past as well you make a mo- an offer remotely so you go through the vessel and you kind of find defects and things and you, you justify a lower offer based on what you found. Yeah. Um, you know, you give reasoning for what you're doing and and you make an offer before you travel to the boat. Because the thing is that most people they if they like a boat, they'll go and view it. Mm. And then if they really like it, they'll get a survey. And then they'll use the survey to negotiate the price down. Generally, that's what a lot of people do.
1: Yeah. But, but you've you your negotiating power isn't strong by that point. you are already committed to the yeah. seller that I've I've just invested a grand in getting a survey done. I'm buying this. Exactly. He's thinking, well, I'm not reducing the price that much, you know. <laughs>
2: exactly. Whereas, yeah. if you negotiate right at the beginning, before you've even left your house, yeah, you're in the strongest possible position. So, yeah. so that's the way we've done it numerous times. And and on this occasion, I went through. I spent about three hours um, going through the photos of the boat, and I've, I identified all the faults. I then put prices on the rectification of those faults using a, a marine professional, not me doing it myself. Yeah. Use it, you know, using um, prices of a. Of a third party to do it, and then I said, "Look, this is this boat, and these are some other examples of this boat. And although they're a lot more expensive than this, by the time you factor in all these jobs, um, it would make more sense for me to buy these one of these other boats rather than this boat, yeah. unless you so can it sell needs it to be me cheaper." For- yeah, 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 and also it was, the circumstances of the sale were a little bit different from the usual sale. Um, it wasn't a private seller selling; it was it, it was a different situation. It was being sold by a yacht club. Um, so I knew that I could be aggressive with the pricing and it wasn't going to be a problem. Um, so basically before going to view the boat, we'd negotiate the price down to 18,000 pounds. And then we eventually bought it for 16,000 pounds. Um, so, you know, it was, it was an amazing deal. We could have, we could have gone out the next, the next week without doing any work on it and sold it at a really good profit yeah
1: um
2: and then the thing is it's misleading when when you look at our channel and there's so much diy you know like the refit on that boat Mm. from a video perspective it seems to have taken forever um but it really hasn't you know we've only we've only gone to the boat for a few weeks at a time and then done those jobs and made those videos and then the videos will last a very long time it's similar to the the solo sailing trip from the uk to to belgium it took me about seven days including waiting at anchor on weather and stuff like that but in the videos it, it looks like it took six weeks and some people were coming and you know, how well, are you still there? You know, have you not arrived yet? <laughs> right. Which is understandable because if you see a video coming out once a week, it seems like it's real time, but it's not. So, yeah. um, so what's actually happened is we bought this boat and we've done some work on it. Um, but it's actually been really very easy to get it to a, a seaworthy standard for me to cross the channel. Mm. And now we've got a boat with tons of extra value in it. So it worked yeah, out really well.
1: It's, it's a good, like I, I like them. Uh, I like the various, I think they're, um, I just think they're a really decent monohull. Um, I like the design of the new ones, the layout inside, like the interior space and the deck, but they are nowhere near as good as the old ones. You know, like in terms of like the the solidness inside yeah. the floor, the quality of the furniture, um even even the deck like they're too ikea-ish now in my opinion they look very pretty but it's like an ikea wardrobe you know it's going to fall apart quicker than one that was made by you know like a carpenter down the road
2: yeah the reputation of the older boats is really good in fact back back in the day when when bavaria was selling our boat back in 1992 the the sale prices were kind of similar they they weren't very different from kind of like halberg rassi kind of prices you know they were a really high high spec Mm -hmm. boat manufacturer and then as time went by, they started to concentrate more on mass production. And that's when people started to say that the, the build quality was, was starting to go down. So ours yeah. is, I know from ours, you know, from, from having drilled holes in it and things, it's, it's really solid.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. There were a lot, they are, I mean, they're probably still fine. I mean, they're probably still good. They sell a hell of a lot of them and uh, charter companies buy them by the thousands. So I presume they're, they're still solid. They look nice. I think they sail. Okay. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, like a little one, I I did a course on a Bavaria 38, which I think was like a late nineties. And our our boat is a Moody from like 1995 and Moody make like solid boats, like even the smaller ones you can cross oceans in no problem, providing you don't drink that much water uh, (laughs) or you get a water maker. Um, But uh, yeah, I noticed that when when we were uh, harbored up or we were in marinas and I was like sleeping, I could hear every little peck every fish was making on the hull. Um, and this no no sorry it was like a mid to late 2000s I think it was like 2010 2011 something like that you can hear every little tap on the hull there's obviously like crustaceans growing on there so every like little ping ping oh, like, it's frustrating when you're trying to fall asleep <laughs> like you can hear a fish like pecking algae off the hull all the time but yeah with like older stronger boats like the various used to be you just don't get that because it's so solid
2: yeah yeah you mentioned the water thing there that's that's something that I've changed my mind on in the last in the last year and a half in the sense that um, I'm, uh, you know, being ex forces, I've, I went through a period of time where I was in the middle East and I was, we were rationed to one and a half liters of water a day and it was hot and that was yeah, all middle we East had. Flow. There was, <laughs> there was no more, like you finished right. it, you went thirsty till the next day. And that was, that was our supply of water for drinking and washing and whatever you wanted to do with it. You did, you right. did what you want with it, but you weren't getting any more until the next day. So, you know, I know that you can survive on with, with very little water, um, and then when we had our boat, our previous boat, for example, when we were cruising in Italy, we, it, it had a very small water tank, 120 liters tank. Um, and despite that, we we actually worked out that, and it sounds like such a small difference, but it makes a huge, huge difference. We used to empty the tank, you know, use it all and then fill it up doing jerry can runs. Mm. And that was a pain in the neck, you know back and forwards with jerry cans, it's a pain in the neck. And then we just made a really slight difference. And we just thought, well, do you know what? Every time we go ashore, let's just take a little jerry can with us and and keep it topped up. Mm. And we did that. And then after that, that was not, that's not a problem. You know, you just, you go into town anyway, you just stick a jerry can in your tender. And then in Italy, you can easily find water fountains pretty much anywhere. So you just go and top it up and you stick it in your And then that's it. And then every day you just top it up. So like we were at the end of a a few week period, we'd still have full tanks and it wasn't Mm. a problem at all. So I actually made a video about that, about how you don't necessarily yeah, have that. to have a boat. And because some people, you know, there are there's no right and wrong way about anything. But some people think that unless you've got a boat with, you know, 500 watts of solar and a water maker and a generator and uh, electric oven and this, then if you, unless you replicate a house, then it can't be done. You can't live on a boat, yeah, true. you know. Whereas obviously it depends what you want from life, but there are some people living on extremely simple boats. I know a gentleman who sailed all over, all over the world like to kind of, um, you know, Indonesia, Indonesian places like that. And he didn't even have fridge. He just, you know, he he used to can his own food, uh, long-term preservation and stuff. And you can, you can perfectly do things like that if you're that way inclined. Um, The difference is now, the only difference that I see now is that I had never imagined a situation where the world would go Bananas you know, I had never envisaged a situation where despite being like ex forces, I'd never imagined a situation where you could be stopped from going ashore. Yeah. To go and replenish your water. Um, but obviously the, the events of the last 18 months have shown that that can happen sometimes. So that's why, that's the only reason why now I would want, if we were to be, to be doing long-term cruising, I would want a water maker because then you are just covered in that kind of a really extreme situation because you can get by with, with taps, you know, mm. um, Anywhere in the world, where there are human beings, there there is water, so you can get by. Um, but if you're not allowed to go to shore, then you may have to fend for yourself. So that's yeah. why that's why I'd be more inclined to have a water maker now.
1: I remember I'd, I did a podcast with uh, Steve and Judy, um, who've got a, a YouTube channel called Sailing Fair Isle. They've just the, the boat is gorgeous. I don't know if you've seen it. It's just they've got an amazing boat, and um, they entered Spanish waters. Yeah, not so long before the start of COVID. And then I think they ended up getting stuck in a place called Al Miramar, I think. Anyway, they were in a, yeah, I think it is because it's where the lagoon is. So they were stuck in a lagoon. They couldn't leave. Um, they ran out of water. Uh, Spanish police and the people around the marina actually at first would not let them uh, firstly go to shore. So they went to the beach in their tender or the dinghy. Um, they wouldn't let them get off. They said, no, you have to go back. It was like, well, we need food. No. Uh, they then wanted to go into the marina to top up the water tanks and they wouldn't let them in the marina to top up the water tanks. They were like, no, COVID. We can't have water, COVID. And I, I was like, what the hell? Th- this, this whole experience... Has uh, really made me appreciate, you know, like people that used to live on communes in the 70s I mean, they still do now, but like, you know, that seventies thing where you know they live on a commune, they just grow weed and sell it to like the city people. That type of stuff. It's like I know why they did that because they didn't want all these people telling them what they can't do. Basics, you know, <laughs> like so strange. But um yeah, I think it's. I think it must have encouraged a lot of people into like an off grid lifestyle, like. Especially people who like were boats, uh, boat dwelling, van life people. You know, live in vans, drive around in camper vans, that type of thing. If if you were on the verge before of thinking like I would really like an independent life, like you're now thinking, okay, I need solar, I need a water maker, you know, I need my own like radio system. (laughs) It's definitely pushed you over the edge.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, for sure, I want to make sure that my family are are looked after under any crazy circumstance. So I've got all kinds of. Uh, plans you know backup plans now that i would never have dreamt of needing um yeah. so yeah but there we are that's that's the world that we're in in right now so
1: yeah there we yeah are. it's I mean, good to have to... like a few different revenue streams as well i mean you, you you've yeah. got a lot of different ventures and you work for yourself and you have done for a long time like that's key now i mean that's i think people are really going to start to see the importance of that
2: yeah and also this is a time to you know, there are certain industries which are going to be growing um, certain things which are going to grow and certain things which are not going to grow for, for the foreseeable future. So it's a good time to kind of reassess where you are and what you're doing and what you think the world is going to look like in a year from now and, and kind of maybe change direction, you know, depending on what you're doing now. Mm. Um, it may be a good time to look into other things. Like for example, um, I recently, like, like I say about, I've been helping people with buy and sell boats. Well, I've recently, made a course because I was, I was basically one-on-one helping people do what we used to do with, with getting a good deal on their boat. Uh, But that became kind of, you know, there's only one of me and I've got loads of things on the go all the time. So it wasn't really very efficient. So I thought, well, if I make a course, people can go through and, and learn that in their own time. And I I have to record it once. And then that frees me up to do other things while, while people are going through this and it, it helps me help more people and it's more efficient for my time and everything else. So I created this course, Um, it took quite a long time, you know, it's not, it's not easy making a course because it was like 19 videos and, um, you know, you have to structure it and you have to record it and put it onto a platform where you can sell it and things like that. So it takes time, but that's really efficient. And then once you've done that, that course can be sold, you know, 10,000 times and it doesn't, it doesn't create extra work for me. So it's, and this is something that anybody can do, you know, any, anybody in the world, we're all an expert at something and it doesn't matter whether You know, there are people who make courses on how to make a pizza, you know, and then they've made hundreds of thousands of dollars from a simple course like that. Um, So those kind of things are going to be an opportunity because people, you know, people are going to be learning online um, even more in the future than they are or than they have been in the past. Because, you know, face to face teaching seems to be uh, becoming less popular and even the even the universities and things are having online courses. So that's that's one area where there's going to be growth online education um so you know whatever you do in life now if you've got a skill which is valuable to people maybe have a think about creating your own course and and that would that will allow you to to pass on your knowledge and help other people and at the same time it creates an income for you so
1: yeah yeah it's really good so the course that you've got so can you just run through it like what it Basically, what it can offer people and how it's uh... yeah. Well, I
2: can give you some some examples of what other people have done with it. So mm. you know, I've only I've only launched it. When was that? Not too long ago, probably about two months ago now. And then after I did, because I did a pre-launch. So what I did with that it was it was quite a unique thing. But I basically sold the course before I made it, mm. um, in the sense that I said to people, right, this this is what I can offer you, and I'm going to create a course and it's going to look like this, and if you You know, if if you're interested in that, then you can buy into it now and you'll get a substantial discount. And then that will tell me that there's enough interest in the course for me to spend my time making it. So that's what happened. And people did buy into it. Um, And then I created the course and then I delivered it by the date that I said I was going to deliver it. So it works out really well for everybody. Um, And then since then, I've I've actually been busy doing other things. So I've not really promoted it as much. Uh, You know, I wanted to do it. Once the course was ready, I was then going to do a, a launch on our YouTube channel. I've not got around to doing that yet. Um, but some of the people who've gone through the course to date, um, one gentleman, probably about 10 days ago, he's bought a boat. He's not owned a boat for 25 years. Um, and he was, you know, so he's, he's kind of been out of the loop a little bit. He's not got recent experience of buying a boat. And he went through the course and he applied the things that are taught in it. And he saved 30% on his boat purchase from the asking price. Oh. And And he said, you know, at the moment, the UK... Boat market, the used boat market is crazy. Like some boats are selling really, really quickly. Mm. And yet he was is still able to save that amount of money, um, even in this market. So that's an example. So, you know, the value of that, if you're going to, a, a boat is a big purchase. So if you're going to save potentially 30% or more off the purchase, somebody else. Yeah, it could be tens another, of thousands. Yeah, another gentleman saved 34.5% um, off the purchase price. So, you know, it's a no brainer, really, it's an investment from mm. from from my perspective it's, it's a no-brainer then of course you got to apply it because I'm, I'm teaching you things that i've learned through experience you know we had like you know hundreds of thousands of, of tr- boat transactions that went into building that experience mm. um, and then i've I'm, I'm laying out to people this is how you can do this and if you want to do this you can do this this or this i give people different options and then as long as they go through and actually do that it is certain it's in my opinion you know it is certain to to create a lot more value than than they spend on the course you know yeah. poten- potentially hundreds of times more i mean in fact one one gentleman got in touch recently and i've been speaking to him on a one to one basis he wants kind of one to one assistance from me and as part of the the conversation um a 5% saving on the boat that he wants to buy so he's he's already kind of an expert negotiator he's he's bought and sold lots of boats in his life but you know, I said to him at some point, if I can help you get an extra five percent on this purchase, that's thirty-five thousand euros that you're going to save. So yeah, you know, it, it is an expensive boat. Yeah. <laughs> but heck, yeah, okay. yeah, But you know, so so in terms of percentages, um, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a big difference that can be made with a, with yeah. a relatively small percentage increase in price or decrease in price.
1: Which, hmm. like we we're talking about before, it's like you you've learned how to negotiate in a particular industry and a lot of those skills are completely transferable you know you could you could take them over to any type of niche industry buying a car doing a deal on a house an apartment yep. whatever um that's because you've worked for yourself and you've run your own business 95 percent of people have never been in an environment where they've been exposed to that type of discussion like if you take any normal job by like even on an oil rig for example like if you're an rov operator or an rov mechanic you, you've run businesses before so you know um the bloke who sits at the side of you might have never even thought about this. You know, how, yeah, yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you negotiate money off something that costs 50 grand and the seller's adamant? Like the, the process that you spoke through, where it's like, use data that's available to you, you know, do an inspection, back it up with like, you know, uh, quotations from Marine experts. Possibly a bit inflated, you know. Wouldn't wouldn't hurt on this occasion. Yeah, you, you, you know don't. I mean? you,
2: you don't have to inflate with marine experts. You don't have to. Yeah, inflate yeah. You know, not trust air. me. There's already there's already, a, there's already
1: a good amount of cushion room in there anyway. Yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, no, it's it's a process that you can't argue with. Like if you if you approach a seller who's trying to sell for 40, like oh, I'll, do, I'll do thirty. That's my price. He's like, no. If you go in there and it's like, okay, this is why it should be thirty. Look at how much they're selling for here. Look at how much they're selling for there. This one just sold. It needs this work. I've got to spend this much on it. I've got to invest this amount of time. If I have to do all this, I need to save something. You need to knock yeah. five off, regardless of all this work. Like it, it, it's a process that people would have no clue of if they've not been in yeah. like a business negotiation position before.
2: Yeah. And also, it's, it, there is a lot of psychology. Like, you know, 90% of a boat sale is psychology. You could have a boat for sale for $100,000. And if someone comes along, and annoys the seller enough, they won't yeah. sell the boat to them, even for a hundred thousand so, dollars. You know, so if, 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 the, if the guys, I'm saying guy, you know, I'm being ge- a generalization here. If this person is it's fine. <laughs> is such a, it's such a pain, yeah. you know, you just wouldn't want anything to do with them. And I've, I've, you know, I've seen that over, over the, over the, whereas if you, if you approach somebody and you build a rapport with them and you get on a, a good relationship with them, sometimes, people will almost be willing to give a boat away to a person because they like them so much. And because, you know, depending on some, if it's an older gentleman who's got this boat and he's not really good, he can't use it anymore just because physically he can't. And he really cares about the boat. You know, it kind of becomes a part of you. It's, it's painful. selling a boat,
1: mm.
2: it's kind of part of, a, it's, it feels like a family member. Um, you know, in that case, you certainly don't want to go in with an aggressive buying tactic. Whereas mm. in that case, you can build a rapport with the person and kind of, build a vision for the future that you're going to give the boat, you're going to refit yeah. it. You know, you can say, Oh, here's a motorbike that I bought and it was wrecked. And now look at it. It's all shiny, you know, and that'll, that'll, that'll make him believe that you're the right person to take on looking after his boat. Yeah. Um, so I go through this in the course, there's all kinds of different ways of doing this depending on the situation. And, and the, the the main, the most important thing is that you're not the important one in the, in the transaction It's the seller mm. and you have to understand what the seller's motives are. So it may be monetary, but it may not be monetary. It may be something else. And you, you need to identify what is motivating the seller to sell. And then you need to build and pitch an offer that matches their needs. So they think they're getting what they want, you know, and the, the monetary thing is kind of, it, it's almost secondary, but obviously obviously, that whole point of, of negotiating is to, to get a good deal for yourself, but mm. um, it's how, how you go about that. It's not about the numbers a lot of the time. There are There are lots of other things at play.
1: Yeah, it's the way you position it. I mean, like yeah. what what you gave was like a perfect example. If you're, if you are you know, going seeing a boat and some, some old bloke's had it for like 40 years and it's his pride and joy, you know, his life left in, but he doesn't care because he's still got his boat. You know, if it's, if it's that type of thing, you can't turn up and be like, yeah, I want to flip it and make a profit. Like, you, see, there's, you know, there's, there's not going to be much positive there. But yeah, if you go in, you're like, oh, we love it. We've got a family. We want to do this. We want to copy what you've done, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been so many occasions like over over my career where I've, I've just said to customers, like, forget it, I'm not interested. I, I do not want your business. I don't want to work with you. I don't want to send you invoices. I, I do not want to deal with you um, because you just don't like them. Like they're not nice people or you don't like dealing with them. And yeah, when you've got a client who... Or, or, you know, a customer, for example, who's just genuinely lovely and you like dealing with them. Oh, yeah, you bend over backwards for people, just, don't you? Yeah. When,
2: when you can, you do yeah. what you can. So, yeah, yeah it's, like it's I've, about-
1: I've called up clients and offered them discounts when they're not even asked. So I'm just like, I just appreciate that I know you and we <laughs> work together. <laughs> like, you know, I just want to treat you better.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's funny. Life has led us to this in a, in a very kind of, with all kinds of different experiences. You know, if I didn't have the technical experience, I wouldn't be able to help people identify problems on boats via photos. And if I hadn't done the boat, the boats, I wouldn't know about negotiating. And if I didn't have a YouTube channel, people wouldn't be able to find me to, to understand that I'm involved in this stuff, you know? So it's like all these things have just kind of perfectly led up to this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're very fortunate really. And But, but what I would say, the reason I mentioned that is it's not just, this is not like us, but anybody, anybody listening or watching to this can make a course. It doesn't, you know, you can be, you could be really good at, Anything, you know, anything at all. Yeah, if you can potentially make a course, and that's something that is going to be future proof. You know, um, so if if there are people out there who are maybe having difficult times at work, or maybe the industry that they're working in looks a little bit shaky. If you look towards the future, it doesn't look as though it's going to be growing. Then maybe do a start a side hustle now and start to build, you know, something which is going to send you a good step in the future. And a course is a great way to do that. Yeah. Uh, there are also like you know other things that I'm involved in, like you know a very, very long time ago, I started to promote a, 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 um, accounting software that I used through an affiliate program. This is all kind of rich dad, poor dad stuff. You know, it's things that you do that that you do a little bit of work now and yeah. years down the line, you can still be reaping the the rewards from that. So for example, when I had the business and it was three different currencies, there was a stage in time when I was like 18 months behind with the accounts because I was so busy doing the work that I didn't have time to faff about. And it was, I was using a, an accounting software that was horrible called I don't want to name it. I don't want to badmouth them, but it was like, <laughs> it was an accounting software that used by accountants and it was great for them, but for an individual business owner, it was just a nightmare. Hmm. So it was horrible. And then I, I suddenly discovered this, this new accounting software that was really user friendly. So I started to use that. And within like three days, I'd got all my accounts up to date and it was, it wasn't pleasurable because I hate accounting, but it was almost pleasurable because it was so user friendly. And so I went online and just told people, said, look, this, this accounting software has taking me from losing sleep over taxes to, um, to, to finding it really easy and quick to do. So go and check it out, you know, and just something like that shared with an affiliate link can then create sales, which can then give you an income. And in this case, it was a recurring affiliate program. So yeah. I still get checks now from something that I did back in 2008.
1: Oh, because so it's like an annual subscription it's, type it's, of thing. Yeah. People pay
2: over. every month Very and, cool. and, and yeah. So, I mean, there are things that I'm doing now with similar things, you know, there are software programs and things that you can promote, um, which are in, in a boom at the moment. You know, there are so many people taking businesses and, and either bring them online or adding an online dimension to an existing brick and mortar business. So these are, these are kind of areas of the economy, which are, which are really growing. Um, so there are, there are lots of opportunities out there. You just have to, um, you know, look
1: around and, and think Just Give me a second, Chris no worries. Uh, There was a cat in the wardrobe I had no idea nope. It is my cat It's not. Oh stranger. my goodness <laughs> Just let me get him out
2: This is very long as well, isn't it? You're going to have to chop some of this out
1: Oh, no, it's fine. We've done some that have lasted for like two plus hours. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I've got I've got uh, five cats, and we have one that just, c- just continuously makes noises. Just walks around, ar, ar, and he was the one that popped out the cupboard. I was like, oh, gosh, get that guy out. He's called, <laughs> he's called David. Um, he's a very annoying cat. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, carry on. Um,
2: I don't remember what I was saying, really, but yeah, just there are some industries which are growing and, and for sailors, this is another thing that we want to explore on our channel. Um, but you know, we are relatively young and we were able to go out cruising when, when the world is normal, we're able to go out cruising. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is because we've kind of set our lives up in a way to allow us to do that, you know? Um, so this is another thing that I want to help people with because we want, you know, I've come from a a town where there are no opportunities, you know, Blackpool, there is, there is nothing there really. It's just, and I've come to a stage where, you know, like if somebody was told me when I was at school that one day you'll be sailing a boat in the Mediterranean, I'd have just, as I laughed at them, you know, it just, it, it seems yeah. unbelievable, but I've been able to do it. And it's thanks to that book that, that my friends, um, lent to me all those years ago, Rich Dad Poor Dad. it just gave me a different spin on the world and, and the way, of, and the way of doing things. And then mm-hmm. over the years, I've been working to, to build this kind of financial freedom. And then now this is a result of that. Um, and it is achievable for, for other people too. And I was just talking about kind of areas of the economy which are growing right now. And there's like there's, there's a, a software that I'm, I've just started promoting a few days ago that I know it's going to create a really good residual income because it's something that's that's growing. It's really useful for people, um, and they've got a really good affiliate program. So getting involved in things like this as a sailor are brilliant because you know a year from now we can be sitting in an anchorage, and every single month you'll be getting paid from. These referrals mm. that you've made in the past, so yeah, there are lots of opportunities out there. Um, more I than think
1: the good thing about incorporating that like method of earning as well into sailing is if like if you are sailing and you're on anchor, uh, you can survive on a very limited budget. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. like very like even even if you've got a kid. 500 euros a month and you're on Anchor, completely doable. You know, if you cook in your own veg and you're fishing yeah. and stuff, totally doable. Absolutely. So like, you know, a check from an affiliate scheme and even if it's only like 100 quid a month, like it can be massive.
2: Yeah, but the different. I mean, I, I, t- I agree with you and like our honeymoon, we, we sailed to Corsica from Italy and we spent like three weeks there at yeah. Anchor the whole time. And it cost nothing, you know, it's like something yeah. like 300 euros for the three weeks or something like ridiculous like that. But it yeah. was absolutely fantastic, you know, best weeks of our lives. It was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you. But the thing about situations like this and ways of earning like this, it, it is it is passive. And I don't mean that you get money for nothing because you don't, nothing nothing comes from nothing. But there are situations where you do some work now and then that just continues. It's like a YouTube channel or a podcast, you know, mm. you, you, you build it you create something and then it stays and it continues to, you know, when you're asleep, there can be people consuming your content or being helped by you or going through your course or whatever. And you you create these things, which are, which are kind of, you plant seeds and then in the future you reap the rewards. But a lot of people are, uh, you know, they kind of want immediate results Mm. and that can work. There are certain, certain things that you can do, which give immediate results, but they tend to be more risky. And this is like, some of the things that we do are, and in fact, we've got, I'm I'm in the middle of still of writing a financial freedom PDF, which is about, it's going to be about 40 pages or something of, it's it's kind of like a a rich dad, poor dad for cruisers. So it's like, you know, these are some of the things that you can do as a cruiser to create passive income. Um, Check this out, check that out. And also there's some of the things that we've learned, like as business owners, as cross border people, because like, for example, we used to transfer funds between different countries and we used to get hammered by the banks and it was ridiculously uncompetitive. So then we started using a, diff, a different service, which is far more convenient. So we've put that in there, you know, like just all these different things that we've learned over the years, which can really help a, a cruiser to, to kind of live a life that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's convenient. It also most people don't realize how complicated it can be to live cross border. You know, when it comes to residence and domicile and taxes Tax, and yeah, yeah. it's, these are things that, you know, a lot of people, for example, the way we we go cruising so for ex- obviously let's let's pretend we're in a, a world with open borders and there are no restrictions um you know we could go on the boat for like a four month period and we wouldn't we would work because we make the videos and and that's that's work it's not really work recording of the videos is not work it's pleasure mm. we really enjoy doing it editing the videos is work because I'd, you I, you probably know from from your your own videos but you know like a 15 minute video can take literally 30 hours of time to to edit yeah if it's a if it, you know if it's a complicated video so that is work but when we're on the boat we can just not work for four months and because we've got these passive income things that we've got you know like investing in property and things like that as well you can have income streams that that provide for you when you're not working and then you could potentially go on the boat for four months and sail it from europe to the caribbean if you want to do that and leave the boat there and then go back to your life on land you, you still maintain a kind of you know, a tax residence, you can still see your family, you can still fit into the normal boxes of society. Um, and then you can go back to your boat and sail it to the Pacific. You know, you can, you can do whatever you want. You can circumnavigate like that if you want, mm. but it, it also gives you a balance in life, um, which can actually work perhaps for some people better than a full-time living board life. Yeah. Uh, you know, people don't realize that if you stay on a boat for 12 months a year, you're going to soon run into problems with, insurance and tax and
1: healthcare and stuff
2: yeah yeah all sorts of things so there are lots of different ways to skin a cat um Mm. but it definitely helps to to have income sources that provide when you're not working
1: yeah being european like there's i mean it's it's kind of weird because we've got the well we personally don't have the eu anymore (laughs) we did we did and uh, i do and and you do actually because you you live in italy now um but yeah like there's a lot of regulations when it comes to tax and domicile residency and that type of stuff uh, and then some of the countries have got their own rules that kind of supersede or they're not meant to supersede but they implement them anyway and they get away with them uh, yeah I different space,
2: interpretations yeah
1: like spain has got a lot of laws when it comes to like tax status residency that are actually against eu law
2: a different legal system as well you know the law in the uk uh traditionally traditionally was uh, very easily interpreted because you know case law if 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 they make a law and it's got a little bit of uncertainty um case law will then create the certainty and then everybody knows where the line is um whereas in europe laws can be written and it's kind of codified but then it can be interpreted in 20 different ways in 20 different courts and nobody quite knows how it's going to be interpreted so it's a it's a different different way doing things but yeah i mean it can be difficult to live internationally and you know it is difficult to live internationally but it's if you're living on a boat full time, it's difficult because you then, you know, even if you want to visit your home country and drive a car locally, um, you can have problems with residency for car insurance and things like that because you're no yeah. longer resident. If you you know, it's it, it's kind of a snowball effect that of things that can happen that um, that don't happen if you're spending. You know, you could even spend six months a year on the boat um, and six months on land, and that would create a much simpler. Um, situation bureaucratically than somebody who spends the whole year living on a boat
1: yeah so I know one which I thought was pretty maybe not surprising I mean it is the rules but it's just regarding a credit card um I had a credit card which I basically used to get points so I it it was an automatic automatically paid off it never actually cost me anything I just made money with it really and um yeah I called the bank once and I was like oh I need a new one sending out They're like what's your address I was like it's here and they just sneaked it in they were like how long have you been there this year I was like oh I've been here the whole year like oh yeah then you can't have this we're cancelling it now I was like what <laughs> like yeah you need to be a UK resident I was like I am like no you've been out of the country for a year you're not anymore I was like damn <laughs> yeah stuff like that so if you're yeah. if you're living month to month like in arrears on a credit card and the bank just cancels it like that you might not have any food for a month do you know what I mean strange little situations yeah yeah so what's what's uh what's in store for the future then
2: Good question. Uh, like I say, the, the, the kind of situation I've just outlined then, we, we plan um, on spending a decent chunk of time on the boat, mm. you know, like one period of three or four months or whatever oh, nice. to do, the, to do the bulk of our cruising and we can move the boat wherever we want then and then pick it up the next time in the new location. You can go wherever you want there um, and then the rest of the time will be on land. So we have a, you know, a kind of a, a balance between the two. Yeah, it's not a plan.
1: Yeah, do you, is there much made to? Because I take it you haven't actually been to see your boat in quite a while.
2: No, no. no. I, I fortunately, and this is a military thing. You like there are certain things that you do by habit. Like, one thing is never get separated from your gear. Hmm. um One guy that I know once had his his bag sent out to the Falklands, and he was going to the Middle East, and he was like scrounging underpants off other people and stuff like that you know so it's like
0: don't Sweaty get separated from your underpants <laughs> so you, you
2: just you just get used to if you've got a bag and you're traveling you don't put it in another taxi just in case the taxi has a crash you know you keep it with you that's one thing but also with, with the boat it's like you know whenever i go away i expect it to be away for about four or six weeks or something like that mm-hmm. from the boat um and that's turned into like you know well over a year but when I went away from the boat I took the sails down and I, I tidied it up as though I was going to leave it for you know a very long time so I've been fortunate in that respect that although it's been sitting there unattended it can sit there you know indefinitely and it'll be okay because I've, I've tidied yeah. it up before I left so.
1: so it probably just needs a serious clean yeah yeah, yeah. underneath and inside yeah last year messes up because I, I just got new antifoul put on in like the uh January and then obviously in March um I couldn't leave the house for couldn't leave the house for three months and you basically couldn't go out on your boat for about five months so that like 500 quid which I spent on foul was kind of useless after <laughs> just sitting there for five months in like a dirty marina then we had like two months of sailing um and I intended to jump in and scrape it just get it really clean uh that ended up getting cut short because there was like another round of um lockdowns then we ended up going to like the Canary Islands then they did another round of lockdowns in I think it was October that lasted through to January uh, or it lasted for a couple of months where you weren't allowed to leave your town Um, so yeah like two weeks ago I mean I've got the boat coming out in a couple of weeks anyway but yeah two weeks ago I just pumped up the dinghy I'm not jumping in the water in my marina it's horrendous it's disgusting like even on the clearest of day if you put your hand out in front of you you still can't see it so I was like, yeah. there's there's no way I'm going under there. I'm just gonna I'm gonna end up diseased. Something something's gonna go terribly wrong from a health point of view if I go to there now. Um but yeah, I I just like went round in the dinghy and uh, I bought like a very, very harsh bristled brush and that couldn't get the stuff off. So I was like, ah oh, bugger. It's so like a year later and there's enough for like five hundred quid and Auntie fell completely wasted.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I did ours in, in England before leaving jumped yeah. in the water and and uh, dived in there and got it all clean yeah uh, which yeah it's not quite as pleasant as it is in the med but need it's to. not mind. that pleasant
1: here to be honest <laughs> well we we did a little uh, temperature check i think it was in yeah i think it was in december because in december it was like it's probably going to be a few months by the time i get the boat out it's ended up taking much longer because there's been such a backlog uh, like there's been like a month and a half to two months away to actually get the, um, get use of the crane in most of the yeah. marinas down here. But yeah, in December, the water was 14 degrees. So like 14 degrees, you cannot spend an extended period of time. Not no, in your no, underpants. No. Like no. You need, you need a wetsuit <laughs> um, and it still hurts. You know what I mean? so, like, uh, so yeah, I, I went down there with the wetsuit and I looked, so I was like, I'm literally going to have to clean the boat, like with my face five inches away from where I'm scrubbing to actually see what I'm doing. So it's like, oh, forget it. Just leave it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was much warmer in the UK. It was, it was um, September, October, but actually the sea, you know, the sea takes a long time to cool down. It's, yeah. it's, ger- it's generally warmest in about October, isn't it? And coldest in March, yep. I believe. Um, so it was, it wasn't so cold, but yeah, the viz wasn't particularly great in, it was in um, the Marina, Gillingham Marina. Mm. But yeah, it was, you know, with a, I've, I've had quite a bit of practice doing that too so you can be quite quick when you when you go through and get it blasted and also i borrowed a got it's called like a big long brush with a bendy bit on the end or have you ever seen that i've never seen it before but it's a, it's no, a big I've seen that. it's a big brush with a, a 90 degree angle and it's got like a foam end on it with a scraper okay. so i was able to do probably about 40 percent of the boat from the pontoon Oh, nice. And I just had to dive in and just do the, the just keel underneath. and, and, and the, the under section. So,
1: yeah. Oh, very cool. It's That's good. Useful. Well, hopefully, maybe by the summer, you'll be on the beautiful beaches of Sardinia or Corsica or something like that. Yeah, Nice we'll see. white sands. So you can, like, see everything under the boat. No problem. No brown water. Yeah, I've just,
2: I just got visions of, of Emma, our daughter, jumping off the back of the boat into the water with her little armbands on. You know, I've just got that vision and I just, I can't wait to see it happen. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going yeah. to be worth it, worth the wait when it happens.
1: Yeah, that's a good one to fix on. I, I, I'd be happy aiming for all of that. So listen, it's been a pleasure speaking. Yeah, Thank me too. Thank you very much. Yeah, me it's too. Been really Thank good. You. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing some videos about what you do over the summer.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Right. Hopefully see you in Anchorage somewhere one day too.